Hey everybody, I wanna give you a gift before we dive in. If you're at the beginning of your content marketing journey or if you've been doing it a while but it's not working as well as you want and you feel like something is missing, I wanna give you a roadmap to help you get more ROI out of your content. This is my blog remix method and it's a shortcut to go from one blog to dozens of pieces of content in less than 60 minutes. Even if you have webinars, podcasts, and video content, you can take the transcripts and follow the guidelines in the exact same way. It's a great resource. It's free. You should have it. If you haven't downloaded it already, grab it right now at justinsimon.co slash remix. If you're listening to this podcast feed, you can click the link right below and download it. Get it, read it, apply it. It takes you step-by-step step to get more value out of your blog content and get it in front of your audience. So grab the guide, get a blog, and get it running. That's my blog remix method, and it's free at justinsimon.co slash remix. Hey, everybody. Before we get started, I want to thank my friends at Hatch for producing this episode. You can get unlimited podcast editing and strategy for one flat rate by visiting hatch.fm. All right, let's get in the show. Welcome to Distribution First, the show where we flip content marketing on its head and focus on what happens after you hit publish. Each week I share playbooks, motivations, stories, and strategies to help you repurpose and distribute your content because you deserve to get the most out of everything you create. Hey everybody, welcome to this week's episode of Distribution First. So excited to have Leah, the VP of Marketing from Teal on the show this week. And gonna be a super fun episode. I'm just gonna tell you right off from the bat because just chatting before the show, we're gonna have a lot of cool stuff to talk about. In particular, social first distribution, kind of how the world is evolving and how, gonna get really into some cool stories on how Leah has been able to sort of reverse engineer intent and reverse engineer what people want based off of using social first distribution and then building bigger pieces of content off of that. So excited. Leah, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's awesome to be here. Huge fan of the work you're doing. And I feel like I've learned a lot about content distribution from you. So it's a little surreal to be chatting with you virtually. Awesome. Awesome. Super excited. I think to kick off the show, I'm interested in you obviously haven't been running marketing teams forever. I think you've got a super unique background in getting into being a VP of marketing. I think I said this a couple of episodes ago. Typically, I don't go into the backstory too much because I always kind of hate that on shows. But I'm curious for you, maybe just touch on how your past lives in marketing are influencing what you're doing as a VP of marketing right now. Sure. Great question. So I never thought I would be in marketing. I used to sort of think marketing was a dirty word. I don't know why. There was something about this idea of sales and selling people things that I just was not into. And I think I didn't really understand the storytelling power of marketing or its potential. So if you'd asked me in college, you know, do you want to be a marketer? I would have been like, what's that? Like, I just, I had no idea. And honestly, this is dating myself, but social media did not exist when I graduated from college. So 
that wasn't an option at the time. But my background originally was in theater, thought I wanted to be an actor. And I auditioned professionally for a little bit, realized that was very much not for me and pivoted into the communications world at Scholastic. So I was on the corporate communications team for about four years doing a mix of internal comms, PR, social media. That was really when I started to get excited about this idea of having face-to-face interactions with customers on a one-to-one basis helped spin up the Scholastic Pinterest account, Instagram that launched at the time. So there was a lot of really like foundational work there in terms of getting executive buy-in around this new form of media and how we could leverage it as a brand. And then from there, moved to WeWork and was there for a little bit over five years, running the social team and growing a global team, which was a phenomenal experience for, you know, I know there's lots in the news, especially this week about WeWork and For all of the stories that are out there, you know, there are a hundred stories that are untold of the people who really helped build the company from the ground up. And it was the ride of a lifetime, Um, which then brought me to my next ride of a lifetime at Teal. So I started in January of 2022 as the head of brand and content. And those were roles that I'd not officially held in the past, but our founder and CEO, Dave Fano, took a bet on me, which I so appreciate and have been working over the past two years to really grow into that role, learn as much as I can about content marketing, still oversee all of our social media and brand efforts. And then in the past few months, my scope has expanded and I'm now working really closely with our growth team and working on editorial strategy and a little bit more traditional content marketing strategy day to day, which has been an awesome learning experience, but there is so much more to learn. I'm humbled every day by how much I do not know. <laughs> Love that. Love that. What's been some of the biggest learnings you've had, obviously coming in as a new head of brand, a new head of content, not owning that role? What were some of the biggest things you took away over that, I guess now, year and almost two-year probably period? I think there's a lot of power in asking questions. You don't know what you don't know. And I think so often we're embarrassed to start a new role and admit that we Hmm. aren't 100% confident in what we're doing. I think that I fumbled a little bit at the start because I was so obsessed with this idea of getting it all perfect and sort of trying to cohesively put everything together into one beautifully packaged strategy. And I was really focused on all of the elements that I was insecure about or didn't know and was constantly researching, you know, how do I put together like a flywheel strategy? And ultimately, (laughs) Dave was a great mentor and coach throughout it. And we like took a step back and we were like, okay, What are the immediate wins we can get on the board? What are the things we can really start with and then grow from there and kind of add on bit by bit rather than feeling like we had to start with the huge pie and then go toward the center? So that was really helpful for me. And now it's something I really encourage my direct reports to do when we start is pick these tangible moments that will help them feel like they get wins on the board quite quickly. And I'd forgotten how hard it is to onboard at a new company. Like I hadn't started a new job in seven years. I'd been at WeWork for so long. And then I was freelancing and running this newsletter that I'd created for women to find jobs in brand marketing and comms. And you have to kind of give yourself a little bit of grace, I think, when you're starting anything new. And that, as someone who's a bit of a type A perfectionist, was much easier said than done. So It was a lot of learnings, but also there's some really fun stuff that comes with drinking from the fire hose and learning to like just distill what's most important and what's going to help move the needle for the business. Yeah, that is, I feel like I'm seeing it just even more. I don't know if it's just like end of the year stuff or maybe just something that I've been putting out into the world more, but it's like this idea of 
we need to have these perfect little plans or, you know, we need to so-and-so company is doing this, therefore I should be doing it that way, or this is how X, Y, and Z is doing it. Or there's, of course, on social media, you have to be very opinionated. So this is the only way to do something. Yep, exactly. I'm curious, what are some of those quick wins done when you were getting rolling? And what were some of those things that, you know, whether or not they were successful or not, what were some of those things where you were like, okay, take a step back. We're not going to focus on trying to get everything nice in line with this like life cycle flywheel, blah, blah, blah. Like, how do we get some wins on the board? Yep. So my first step, honestly, was starting really small. And that was going back to the basics and doing an audit of all of our social media channels, the existing content, kind of rooting myself in action instead of trying to think so strategically straight away. I was like, let me just get in there and get in the weeds and see what's working, see what's not working. There were some folks on the team at the time who were doing a great job of like keeping the lights on, but admittedly, they were like, we're not doing social like this is here, take it, please. So getting us set up with the basics of an editorial calendar and a flow and some content series straight away and just getting all of our ducks in a row, so to speak, was super helpful. And then I think I had this tendency to want to panic a little bit when I thought about analytics or when I thought about measuring the work. And I got myself very spun up about like, what are the things we should be measuring? What are the things we should be doing? And we had a fractional marketer working with us at the time who was like, you can't measure anything if you're not putting it out there in the first place. So like, let's worry less about what we're measuring and let's actually do the thing. And I was like, that is brilliant. Yep. So we took a look at our social channels to start and we decided we were going to prioritize the channels where we thought we could have the most impact. Again, at the time, I was sort of spread across the basics of Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, then Twitter and LinkedIn and YouTube. And we looked at it. We were like, okay, where is our audience? And like, where are the people that we can potentially reach? And let's forget about trying to be everywhere at once. Let's just get really good at one or two platforms and let's start small and then we will distribute and we will expand from there. But even distributing, I remember Dave saying to me, you know, yes, we can cross post TikTok videos to Instagram, but like that's five minutes even that we're spending on that where we could be spending that time on something more impactful. So we really got crystal clear on TikTok first, primarily because the organic reach was so good at the time and it was just a really fun way for us to be able to build community from the ground up on a new platform and experiment and test and learn openly and see what of our messaging was resonating with real people. From there, LinkedIn became our next big focus. And then YouTube, we're sort of lightly active on Instagram. We stopped posting actively to X a while ago, just A, bandwidth and B, philosophically, there was a lot going on. But we're really trying to build in the spaces where we know job seekers are actively looking for answers. And job seekers are our target audience. So for anyone who's not familiar with Teal, we make job search tools and software and ideally tools that will be your personal career growth platform through the duration of your career. First day of your first internship, the last day you retire. But right now we're honed in specifically on the job search. So really trying to listen first and then take action. I find it so fascinating that, and maybe it's just because you're on distribution first, I don't know, but the fact that you brought up organic social as one of the first things that you went to go do is so fascinating to me because I think at a lot of companies, it's like the last thing anybody looks at. And it's almost seen as a throwaway, like just checkbox of something to do. 
But the companies that do it so well are the companies that have intention behind it and are doing things like you mentioned, where it's a channel that's dedicated and takes research and takes understanding. And you can't understand eight channels at once and post on all of them effectively and do all I mean, unless you have a massive team to help support that. I'm just curious, like, is that something you've experienced in the past where that is the case? And then is that something you're just actively being that you're coming from that social side of like working, uh, you know, building up those Pinterest channels, doing all those things back in the day? Like, does that just come to mind for you first? I think and a lot of times with writers, they'll say, you know, write what you know. Mm. And I think that's sort of exactly what it was for me. It was like organic social is what I know. It was my comfort zone. It was for me the easiest place to start because it was I hate the term low hanging fruit. So if you have any alternatives, let me know. But I do not. <laughs> it felt like that was the obvious place for me. Whereas I, you know, in my past roles, content marketing hadn't been as cohesive. You know, back at Scholastic, both B2B and B2C, there was no real, I mean, we had a corporate blog at the time, but there wasn't necessarily that same level of expectation that the blog would be tied to metrics and results for the company. And then at WeWork, things were so fast-paced and ever-changing. And we were like peripherally on the same team as the folks who were running our creator magazine. It was called at the time Creator by WeWork. Anyway, it was a blog, but we were not really as hand-in-hand in terms of the strategy. And it was very much like, oh, we have this new blog post that went live. Let's share it on our social channels. But it wasn't like, how can we take this piece of content and then distribute it across these various channels? So I think though I understood kind of theoretically the importance of content marketing and the long form pillar pieces, I didn't really get it until I was in it. Mm -hmm. And Teal was really my first opportunity to be in it in that way. I remember when I took over content when I was at TechSmith and I had never run like social, like I had run like traditional content marketing, like SEO, blogging, website content, like very from that perspective. And I remember when I first took on social and I, I started doing this because like, I got to understand how this works. Like, how the heck do we, we're posting on Facebook? Like how many Facebook account? Like, you know, it's just like going into all these things because it's so easily that afterthought or it's so easily disconnected. And then, you know, I get into it. I'm like, oh, like you have no idea what we're creating. Like there's that massive disconnect between the strategy, the content, why we're creating it, and then the people who have to distribute this. No different than email, no different than the newsletter. It's just for whatever reason, at companies, it's a very siloed thing even today. How do you sort of challenge that? How do you battle that at Teal or battle it up? How do you think about that? How do you connect those dots? I think we're in a really fortunate position with a leadership team and particularly a founder and CEO who thinks in a very social first way and who just inherently understands the value of organic content. And when I started last January, that was part of the wanting to come in-house was to build out an organic content function. They had focused a lot on paid and acquisition. And really, Dave straight away was like, nope, the value is this long-term play in terms of investing in SEO and organic social and brand building. And that is how we're going to win long-term. So like, okay, that's 10 hurdles skipped because I did not need executive buy-in or to justify the ROI of the efforts or to like explain. I mean, he just got it. And I feel so fortunate to be able to say that because I know that's not the case for so many marketers, but to be able to really just inherently from the get-go say like, yep, run with it was huge. And I think for us, it started to come back, not only like from an actual metric standpoint, we saw the followers, you know, growing, which was awesome. But I think 
you know, we started to hear feedback more and more from folks via email about inbound partnerships. Like, hey, heard about you on TikTok. Hey, love what your team is doing on TikTok. Hey, you're one of my favorite brands on TikTok. And we were like, oh, okay. Like we're going to keep doing what we're doing. And then trying to find that balance of not being too salesy, not being scammy in a space that's known for being really like, it can be rough and brutal. And there's a lot of bad advice. Like how do you cut through that And also, how do you drum up interest in a product that's free? At the time, it was 100% free. We didn't even have a freemium plan yet without TikTok also banning your account for thinking you're frauds and scams. Mm. So there were a lot of like nuances to navigate, but we were very lucky from the get-go with executive buy-in. Yeah, it's wild out there. You know, I think it's such a pull and especially there's so many forces out there for a lot of content marketers where... You know, you're not incentivized to do what you should do, to be honest. Like, I think that's probably as clear as I can put it. Like, everybody knows how they buy. If you sat down and talked to them, they would be able to tell you a friend recommended me to this. I listened to this on this podcast. I heard this recommendation over here. It's very hard to set those things into motion sometimes, especially when at the executive level, even at their heart of hearts, they would say that's how they buy. But they'd also say, where's my performance metrics? (laughs) Exactly. And then also, too, when you take into how many touch points does someone need before they actually make the decision to purchase? And, you know, what is, I forget the stat, but something like you need to see a piece of content seven times before you actually take action on it. I mean, I wouldn't, that sounds low. Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah, it's a tough balance. Yeah. I, I think the more that we can understand that reality, and I was just talking to somebody the other day where it was, not only the amount of touch points, but the type of touch points matter too more and more where it's not just TikTok, it's TikTok and YouTube. It's YouTube and the newsletter. It's all of those things that are compounding because I might not watch your full show or listen to your full thing ever. But man, every time your clip comes by, I'm watching it because I got 60 seconds and I like your take. Yep. And that's valuable. Totally. And I think I come from this like old school mentality of, Once upon a time, you weren't supposed to post the exact same thing on all of your channels every day. And you weren't supposed to post distribution was almost like or repurposing rather was sort of frowned upon. It was like, oh, well, you have to, you know, adjust the content and tailor it to each of the platforms. But these days, it's like, yes, you do. But you also there's nothing wrong with posting the same thing in multiple places. Like your followers aren't everywhere at once on the exact same day. And the people who do notice that you're posting the same thing are probably also people who work in social media or content. So like, it's okay. Ooh, that's so good. That's true. We are a little bit more um, (laughs) aware of what's going on, right? Like I think if I asked my parents or my wife or my, you know, like they would, I don't know. I see, I see so-and-so everywhere. It's great. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Which is very funny. Yeah, it is. It is funny. So let's dive into a little bit. I remember you telling me how you got... So I love the social first. I think that is so key in how companies can build better. It's, it's a huge part of distribution first in general is when I'm building up these frameworks for companies. It's let's take a look at your channels and how you are going to get the content you create in front of your audience. And a huge part of that is also using social and using social listening to be able to create better content that your audience actually wants. So maybe talk to me a little bit about that too. Exactly. That's so well said. So I think for us, social media has been a really great sandbox to play in. And it's a great place to test new ideas, see what resonates. We were actually just chatting internally in a meeting, our director of growth marketing, who's 
awesome, was pitching some ideas about ways we can really leverage social listening to come up with more topics that we then ladder up into the editorial strategy versus starting with our keyword research and then kind of in a more conventional way, doing the piece around that and then distributing that and turning it into social content. So I have this vision in my mind. I don't know if this is a thing, but in my head, it's like an inverse pyramid where you have like your top of funnel and you have your big pillar piece or your meaty hero video or whatnot. And then you chop that down into smaller pieces of content within that smaller piece of content. And then you have 8 million social posts. So that's sort of the like top down version. And then I like this idea of the bottom up version. So in my mind, it's like all the little pieces and of those that you're testing, which ones are popping, which ones are causing a little bit of a spark. And then from there, can you put those into something bigger, then into something bigger, and then the two sort of meet in the middle. So that's one of the things we're really trying to leverage right now. And I'd say our biggest success on that front with our ChatGPT content last November. And at the time, you know, ChatGPT had just come out and no one really had posted that much content around it. And so we started experimenting with some TikTok videos about how to use ChatGPT for your job search, how to use it to rewrite your resume, how to improve your cover letter, how to do, you know, better outreach, how to improve your LinkedIn profile. And the content took off. It was amazing. I remember getting a text from Dave. I was in a workout class and I got a text that was like, 20,000 views in an hour. Oh my gosh. And I was like, what? (laughs) So that was a huge win. And then from there, we took our top performing videos around how to use ChatGPT in your job search. And we were like, wait a second, there's something here. Like there's something that people are gravitating towards. So of course, went on Ahrefs, looked it up. There was zero keyword volume around anything related to ChatGPT. So I was like, you know what? We're going to take a bet here. So we threw together like sort of middle of funnel blog post. I did honestly didn't think anything of it. I was like, oh, this is just a good way to distribute this social content. And it ended up being absolutely like critical to our growth strategy for the next year. It's averaged over the course of the past year, about like a 13.5% conversion rate at times up to 16% with some help from our growth folks who have made it better with time. Usually a lot of our blog converts around four to 5%, which is also great, you know, but just to see numbers in the double digits, we're like, is something broken? Like I'm not, but it's actually, it's driven over almost 40,000 signups just from that one post. So then we used that and we were like, okay, this is clearly something that folks are super interested in how can we create a topic cluster around this and really like solidify our position in the chat GPT AI for your job search space. So we created a bunch of additional content around how to use chat GPT for your cover letters, how to use it for your LinkedIn profile, 21 great prompts for your resume. So really building out this collection of interlinked chat GPT pieces and then incorporating products into those to show like, yes, you can use ChatGPT, which is great. We'll show you how to do it. It's free. Or if you want this all in one place, you can use Teal and here's how to do it that way. So it was this really fortunate blend for us of like right place, right time, gut instinct, and really like impactful results that I don't even think we would have expected. So skate where the (laughs) puck is going is sort of (laughs) my big takeaway from that one. Yeah. I don't do sports, but I think that's I think that's the right analogy. Yeah, I don't do hockey, but that sounds right. <laughs> so uh, anybody who's a hockey uh, aficionado, correct us if we're wrong. Yeah, no, I so many good things there. One, the willingness to just experiment and try. Huge, right? Like, so huge. Yes. Like, trust first that came from the team in terms of being willing to experiment. 
and run with something that had no proven data around it was amazing. I also think from there, we were able to iterate and say like, okay, one of the things that we see is really working, video content, great, sticky, et cetera, et cetera. But these are all TikTok embeds in the blog post itself. And there's a play for us here in the like YouTube space where, okay, these keywords also are not really showing up in any of our keyword research for YouTube, but we have proof now from the blog post and from TikTok that it's really valuable. So we then in April of this year sort of relaunched our calling it medium form. It's like three to four minutes is sort of our sweet spot, but our YouTube strategy, like with a more keyword informed approach. And right away, we saw impact from incorporating, basically using the editorial brief as the foundation for the YouTube brief, editing, modifying, making it more robust, and then having additional visibility in the search. Mm -hmm. And so Googling now, especially with the changes that are coming with generative AI, it's been amazing for us to be able to leverage that keyword research to try to rank for video content as well. And now that TikTok is also searched, it's kind of like a a nice trifecta. I'm not complaining. (laughs) No, absolutely not. So in that case, did you have like a 60 second short that you reworked and reshot to be three to four minutes? No, we actually ended up taking the concepts from each of the top three performing videos and then weaving them together into one longer form three minute video. It wasn't the exact same footage. We filmed it. We refilmed it. Our video producer did a great job of making it a little slower, Mm. more of a walkthrough than the TikTok was. The TikToks were pretty quick and snappy (laughs) and we've done, you know, a ton of them, but under 45 seconds ish. So then weaving them together in a way that felt cohesive. But then we replicated that with ChatGPT for cover letters, ChatGPT for job applications. And those videos are now some of our top performing up to like, you know, 60,000 views were some of the YouTube videos we were creating early on in our (laughs) social days of trying to do keyword research, but then not distributing the video really strategically. You know, they're getting 800 views. So to be able to see impact that quickly and then to be able to see folks engaging with the content, figuring out what those hotspots are in the video that are top performing and pull those to make shorts or like double down on other short form video content. It's just been like this gift that keeps on giving. (laughs) Absolutely. When I was a TechSmith running cut, that was like the main strategy at the time was especially I think it was early 2020. So there was nothing to do but watch YouTube videos. And so we took probably easily the top 15, 20 blog posts that we had and we shot them as YouTube content. And and then reembedded that content into the blog post. And it just becomes the cycle of content. And like you said, I've talked about this before on other episodes, but when you can get those things to rank on Google, that's the thing. Like those YouTube videos rank on Google. And I think more and more, I know for me, like my behavior in terms of wanting to get an answer, ChatGPT, very easy. Snippets are, are, you know, zero click is very, but now it's like videos, like short videos, videos. I don't want to read a huge blog post about the thing. Like, just give me the answer in this video. (laughs) Yeah. The same way if you're Googling a recipe and you want the actual recipe, I don't need to read like why your husband's mother loved this crock pot, (laughs) like in the fall weather, like, okay, just give me the recipe. And I feel like- Jump to recipe. Yeah, Best invention in the world. (laughs) Exactly. So we're experimenting with really short intros and a lot of our editorial pieces and just putting three key takeaways up front, get where you need to go, like 
we don't really know yet the impact that the new search will have on top of funnel content. My hunch is we know, but you know, we're, <laughs> we're like, okay, how can we really tap into meatier topics and pain points from our members instead of trying to answer generic questions that ChatGPT is capable of answering better than we probably could? Yeah. I mean, that's a huge part of it. I just had Parthion from Letterdrop and he was talking about the idea of expert content and needing to give your own perspective on content and being able yep. to tell your own stories around content and how you can do that because that's just it. Like user behavior is going to change. It already is changing. And so, you know, the how do I do X, Y, and Z blog post? I don't know how relevant that's going to be anymore. You know, when I go to ChatGPT or honestly, Google eventually is just going to surf it up with their own bots. It's it, Yeah, it's it's <laughs> not going to be a company thing. So, but also like for me, I'm less interested in that answer. And even if somebody gives me an answer, I'm really not, there's no brand affinity. I've said, I've said this forever. There's no brand affinity with that. There's nothing that's like, mm -hmm. you know, I land on your website. I got my answer. I'm gone. I'm not like into your ecosystem at all anymore. Thanks for the answer, but I, you know, I don't need it <laughs> versus like building the other ecosystem where maybe at the start, I watch one TikTok, but then I watch another and I watch another and I watch another. And then all of a sudden you're one of my favorite brands on TikTok. <laughs> exactly. Yep. hundred percent. I feel like that with a lot of blog content too. I'll go to Zapier's blog looking for one thing and five hours later, I'm knee deep in articles about how to be more productive in ways that like I never even knew existed. So I feel like, you know, if we can try to infuse our content with that go forward, like that will be the winner. And ultimately, like the brand loyalty element is super fascinating to me. And something that not only incorporating it into your content itself, but also just how you show up on social, how you show up with your partners and the influencers and the creators that you're working with, how you're showing up for your users and your members. It's just, I think as things start to blur and feel more same, like brand is going to be the thing that helps you stand out. Yeah, definitely. And the people within that brand too, right? Like, totally. like the people behind the brand. It's the classic, you know, Steve Jobs versus Apple, you know, like that. Yeah. If we've all seen that out there, right? Pick a founder, Richard Branson versus Virgin, like those type of things. And I think as AI grows, as AI generated content grows, the stories behind the people, the real story, not just like the, you know, fluff stuff that people want to try to put out there that they know and copy everybody else's stuff, but the real content of people's experiences, that's going to be massive. And like humans being human. Mm -hmm. I forget who coined the like, we're not B2B, we're H to H. I like roll my eyes every time. And yet I'm like, well, no, it's actually, <laughs> it's really true. Like at the end of the day, we want to be a human to human business. Like AI can be amazing for supercharging productivity and creating opportunities and helping us do work more efficiently. But I'm like a big believer that it'll never fully replace that human to human connection. Yeah, I'm with you. And I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful, I'm hopeful for that. Uh, for <laughs> Cautious <sure>. optimism, <laughs> maybe. Yeah, I'm not like worried. I think for certain people, AI will be troublesome because there are certain tasks, certain jobs, but that's just technology in general. There is mm -hmm. when the computer came out, you know, there are jobs that existed in 1980 that no longer exist. You know, it's just the way the world is. Exactly. So I don't think it's anything to be terrified of, but I do think it's something to try to figure out. Yeah. And how to leverage it thoughtfully in the work that you do will put you ages ahead, I think. Can't beat them, join them. How are you using it, Leah? How are you guys using it? Even if it's like one or two quick examples, like I'm always curious how other companies and other marketers are using AI to like speed up their process. 
Yeah. Oh gosh. Honestly, I should be using it more often and more (laughs) regularly. I lately have been asking it for its recommended edits for certain editorial pieces to help rank for a certain keyword and asking what changes it would make Mm. and then copy paste in the draft of the post, see what it comes up with, see if I agree or disagree. Using it for a lot of idea generation for topics for new hooks when my brain just is like, nope, we can't think of any more creative ways to say this. And then I am really so impressed. Honestly, I I know I just mentioned him earlier, but Matt Sterkenberg, who's our director of growth marketing, has leveraged it in an amazing way with the automation of our brief process on the editorial front. He's essentially automated Airtable flows to be able to tap into ChatGPT to generate creative briefs for our pieces, both written for the blog and then also for our YouTube briefs, which has been mind-blowingly impressive to me. I've not, I take advantage of it. I haven't actually like prompted it. But I feel like I, we're also using MidJourney to create some images for our blog posts. So as a whole, we've been tapping into it, but we use it a ton on the engineering and product side as well, which is, yeah, super exciting to see. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. That's a whole, (laughs) I did because I'm not an engineer or a product person. I don't even like go there, but then it's like, oh my gosh. Yeah, of course. It's so impressive. Yeah. I I don't understand half of what they're doing, (laughs) actually more than half, three quarters, but It seems very impressive. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Well, this has been so fun. I think for me, some of the main takeaways are this idea around social first distribution, understanding, you know, I think it's such a great example. You said with this eventual blog post, all this content web, right? Like 40,000, not impressions, not content watches, 40,000 activations of product, which is bananas. But I think a lot of that, just understanding like that didn't come from Leah sitting behind her computer, trying to come up with this perfect plan, trying to find the perfect keyword to rank or that, you know, if I do this, 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 this. No, it was listening to the audience, just being aware of the situation. ChatGPT is out there. Things are going out there. How do you think, you know, putting yourself in the shoes of the person trying to use it for a resume, trying to put it in the person who could use it for a cover letter? Very basic things things that I need to like think about for me too. Like, oh, duh, this is great learning. So, so happy you were able to come on, Leah. Thank you so much for the invite. This is great. And help me rethink some things also. I'm excited to kind of go back to the drawing board on the distribution side. Love it. Love it. So awesome. Thanks for coming on and everybody listening. Thanks for listening to the show and we will be back next week. All right. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Distribution First. And thank you for listening all the way through. I appreciate you so, so much. And I hope you're able to apply what you learned in this episode one way or another into your content strategy as well. Speaking of strategy, we have a lot of things going on this year that are going to help you build your brand, 10x your content and transform the way you do content marketing. Make sure to subscribe to the show and sign up for my newsletter at justinsimon.co so you don't miss a thing. I look forward to serving you in the next episode as well. And until then, take care and I'll see you next time.